Daddy, what are you going to call your new podcast? What do you want me to call it? Um, maybe the ramen podcast. The ramen podcast? <laughs> <laughs> All right, the ramen podcast. Welcome to the Ramen Podcast. I am your host, Keizo Shimamoto, and this is our very first episode. So today I have some very special guests and probably, you know, two of my favorite people in this industry and relative newcomers to the ramen game. uh, But, you know, small town, a lot of people still don't know about them, but arguably probably the best ramen shop in America right now. So please welcome Scott LaChapelle and Spencer Smith. Uh, from Pickerel in Providence, Rhode Island. Welcome, fellas. Yo, yo. Hey. All right. So where can we get started here? I think, you know, Scott has been kind of that home ramen chef that became a ramen restaurant operator. And I want to hear that story. I know we have a connection from the past and you came to eat at Ramen Shack. But really, tell me about how you got started and and. What gave you that itch to to open that ramen shop someday? Uh, I think the itch came from you, but I definitely started cooking ramen at home after my first trip to Japan. And I came back to Providence and there was there was no good ramen in this city. Uh, it was bleak, like a real ramen desert. So I started cooking at home. What year was um, that? 2017 is when I started cooking ramen at home. So my trip was early 2017 and then I came home and I just started ordering ingredients, whatever I could Google. And I bought Ivan's book. Um, and I just kind of like fell down that rabbit hole really quickly. So what was it in Japan that made you like, you know, go down that rabbit hole? Like what did you experience? What shops did you eat? So my friend Chris and I had wanted to go for a long time. It was a dream of ours. And we were just eating anything that we could find. And a lot of it was, you know, new flavors for us, think foods that we'd never had. But the one familiar thing was ramen. We were like, oh, cool. Let's, that's a ramen shop. Let's pop in. And we had no idea what a real bowl of ramen was because in, in our part of the country, it doesn't exist. So we found a, uh, a little miso ramen shop in Kyoto. And it turns out it ends up being like a decent shop. I wish I knew the name. Um, Dude, but that was the name? real bowl. <laughs> no, I have it listed. I just don't know. I don't know it off the top of my head. Um, that bowl was just like incredible. And from there on, I think on that trip, I had 10 or 12 more bowls in like seven days. Um, and then when I came home, I was like, cool, let me go check out a local ramen shop. And there was nothing. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I guess. Miso, at, miso ramen, man. At that time, like, was there anything close? Did you have to go to like Boston or something to find a decent ramen shop? So there was two shops in town that were open. Um, there was Ken's Ramen, which is now in LA. Um, they were they were okay. And they were definitely very open and friendly to me going in there and asking a ton of questions. They used to give me their noodle packs and they would, uh, Yoshi, the dude who was running the spot, actually even gave me some miso to take home when I couldn't like source good miso. Um, but there was that and a little shop called Wara Wara, which is still around today. And they're more of an izakaya feel. So it's, they have like a big menu and they also have a little bit of ramen on the menu. 
Oh, nice. That's yeah. That's I didn't nice know that. that. Yeah. Shout out to Ken's Ramen. He's a big fan of Ramen Shack too. Um, but yeah, so you come back, Providence, start making your own. And how did you do that? You know, you, you say you got Ivan's book. Did you just try to copy all his recipes to start off and then kind of improvise yeah. with what you so can the get? First, the first thing I made at home was his Shio Ramen and I made it like to the letter. So I have, I had like not proper restaurant experience, but I've, you know, run a pizza shop forever. So I could, like, I had no problem cooking a big recipe at home. That wasn't daunting to me. Um, say no restaurant experience when you work at the peak of restaurant caliber, which is just <laughs> style South Shore pizza. <laughs> like, don't sell yourself short. <laughs> you were making a perfect food. I, I do agree. Uh, so I just tried my best to like source all those ingredients. And I found like a little um, Korean family market in East Providence that really helped me like start buying. Um, he, they brought in like katsubushi for me that they didn't have. And they really helped out. So Asian is the best. Shio was like the start off. Gotcha. Well, let's kind of get into the whole pizza thing. Because I know, you know, <laughs> it, it seems like. You didn't have any experience, but but you have had a lot of restaurant experience, fast casual, and it's very impressive, you know, to to do to go from that side of things into ramen. Uh, with there are similarities with pizza, you know, the obsession and all that. But let's kind of get into that, like how how you went from pizza to ramen. Mm. Well, I mean, I was very lucky to be in a spot where I could start large batches of ramen in a restaurant setting not everyone has that like that tie-in so once i started doing bigger dinners at home i'm like shit i'm working 60 hours a week how am i gonna prep this and i would just throw a stock pot on at the restaurant and make big batches or i'd use the mixer to make noodles you know um so i guess that tie-in was it just kind of happened organically like prepping ramen in the space is that is that what you mean or like how i use pizza to like make ramen like my knowledge well, just the overall aspect, you know, of running a busy restaurant and then prepping uh, large amounts of food, uh, using that to to do pop-ups while also working in the restaurant industry at the same time. I think I think working in a, a pizza shop um, that is properly busy is probably one of the most hectic things you can work in the food industry. Um, I I've talked to people like my uncle's a lifelong chef and he had a job at a pizza shop when he was younger. And he's like, man, he's like, that's like the most stressed I've ever been is like trying to run two lines at once. And you're working in front of house, ringing people up, like taking orders. It's kind of insanity. And I look back on it now that it even worked. Um, but I think it gives you, it gives you the skill set to be able to like multitask and not look at a prep list and be like, shit, I'm going to go home. Like, you're you're kind of just you just kind of get it done you don't have a nice. choice yeah so yeah uh, i want to bring spencer into this i mean you guys have a unique story on how you get got together uh to open pickerel uh but first like spencer do you have a background of like ramen and eating ramen and and like going to japan and you know searching out a bowl and like that eventually made you want to partner with some guy that that's a ramen freak? Uh, yeah. I mean, when I, I wasn't like, I was familiar with ramen. Um, when I was living in Chicago, when I first 
moved to Chicago, I was working at a place called Beatrix and across they are, they're part of a huge restaurant group. And across the street was ramen son, uh, which is part of their group. So I used to get to eat there for free, basically. Like you have like certain amounts of money you could spend at other restaurants. So I would constantly go to um, ramen son and just get like their show you like all the time. And then my next job was across the street from High Five. So I would try to go to High Five all the time. They do a great job. Gotcha. Yeah. Remind us of your background real quick, like being in Chicago, uh, you are a bartender, mixologist, cocktail engineer. <laughs> uh, I, I think just bartender. Uh, yeah. But I have been working behind the bar for a really long time. Uh, it's pretty much like the only job I've had. Um, nice. It's cool. <laughs> All right. So let's get into how you guys met and how you guys kind of you know, I, I believe you are like good friends from a long time ago and you've always wanted to kind of open a restaurant together. Um, you have two separate talents that you wanted to join. So please tell me the story about how you guys got together to open Pickerel. Uh, Spencer, you can lead off on that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I moved back a couple of years ago to Providence and... You're from Providence. Uh, I'm from the Cape, but I moved to Providence when I was like 18. Gotcha. Me and Scott met originally illegally shooting dice in the back of the Wicked Inn pub um, <laughs> when we were in our early 20s. Yeah, and early, early 20s. <laughs> very early 20s. <laughs> um, and when I first moved back, uh, I ended up running into him, and he was talking about like doing a, a pop-up, and it was the Red Fez pop-up. That I was like, oh, cool. I'll go check this out. Like, Scott's the homie. Let's go see what's going on. And we ended up going, and it was just like, holy shit, this is really good. <laughs> and I was kind of looking to do something with a program as far as, like, bartending goes. Um, and I was just like, man, you know, if you ever want to incorporate some drinks, like, I'm passionate about this kind of stuff, too. Like, let's, let's start scheming on how we could do it together. Nice. We had a, lot of, a lot of scheming sessions, as we, we called it. Yeah. What's we the, had a lot of sorry. The, go, go over the Res Fez pop up real quick. Is that one of your first pop ups? That was the very first one, um, and I was just in there eating one night. And if I, th I think I remember the owner came over, and I knew the guy who was running the kitchen at the time. And the owner just kind of popped over, and he's like, "Hey, like, the chef tells me you're making ramen. He's like, would you want to do a ramen pop up here? Because originally, actually, I'd never even thought of this connection. This is really full circle. The restaurant that we own now." um was james marx's restaurant he sold it to us i think one of his jobs after college one of his first jobs was working at red fez and he wanted to turn red fez into a noodle bar so um he mentioned that to me the owner of the red fez is like this was supposed to be a ramen shop at one time he's like would you want to do a ramen pop-up here wow and i was like sure uh and that, actually that's kind of clicking in my head right now i just didn't even <laughs> think of that that's a when weird something full circle even thing. more wild yes i went with kendra the first time I ever had James Mark's food was at Kendra's wedding. Yeah, that's that's, that's <laughs> just so Rhode Island. Who's Kendra? Like, yeah. Uh they're <laughs> they're just they're the homie. Yeah, just a great person. Known them forever. We used to be in a moped gang together. And uh <laughs> yeah. yeah, Kendra was like, Yeah, let's check out Scott's pop up and we went together. So that's like wild. Because yeah. yeah. Nice. So that was the first place that offered me a spot. Um and we sold out, I think, in two hours, and the wait list was like 
I don't even know. It, it was it was nuts. It was 160 portions out of a small, small, small kitchen. What year was that? 2018? Uh, if it wasn't the end of 2017, it was 2018, mm. I think. Like right around that time. It was January. So it might have been January 2018. It was cold when, out. When did you first come to Ramen Shack? Because I, I remember you as just some guy coming in staring at me like <laughs> <laughs> you seven times a day like eventually i put two and two together that you were this guy from providence that was into ramen and then you started asking me for rex in japan that you're going on a trip and all that so wh- when was that like shit man my memory's bad so i think <laughs> i don't remember all these things but timelines are hard i would say my first ramen shack visit was on my second trip to japan i stopped before my flight um, so I think that was March, 2018. I think that was my second trip to Japan. I think that's, I had ramen shack on the way there and on the way back. So <laughs> when I landed from the airport, I brought all my bags and I brought Gary a gift. Um, so I'm pretty sure it was March, 2018. If that sounds right. Gotcha. Yeah. What was your favorite bowl from ramen shack? <laughs> Why you know the answer? It's dirty. <laughs> I, of course, it was dirty. Show you um, for the longest time until I had green curry, and then I think maybe green curry was took over for a little bit. But I think it was more of like the uh, the entire like lore around green curry that kind of like sold me. Mm. Like you know the history and the lineage of that was really important. Yeah, because you did go to Bossa Nova in Tokyo, right? Yeah, I've been twice now. Me and Spencer went on our last trip. Yeah. I've only had the Bossa Nova one now. I got to try yours. <laughs> yeah, send me the rest. I'm sure it's. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll do. I'm sure it's pretty different, though, uh, now than when I was there. I mean, I mm-hmm. haven't. I think I left in 2013. Um, I don't know. Scott, you probably didn't have it before then, right? No, no. My first time was that second trip. March 2018. Gotcha. Yeah, those are some crazy times, I'm sure, from now. I'm surprised that they're still there, you know. It's been a long time. Probably. That was great. I yeah. loved it. Uh, I'm, I'm happy, too, because, like, when I was working there, there was a chance that, you know, there would be nobody to take it over. Um, that's kind of what got me to start working there. So uh, it's it's cool to see that, you know, it's it's still there. But I haven't been back to eat <laughs> since since 2013 so maybe i should try to go and a lot of a lot of feelings there. there a lot of stuff mm-hmm. you know that emotionally that are tied to that so it's kind of prevented me but you know i always end up at et anyway yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> all right so you know ramen shack we kind of connected um i gave you lots of advice you had a lot of questions and you know, for a long time, you wanted to open a shop and I tried to convince you not to. <laughs> uh, several, several years. Um, I went to a couple of your pop-ups. You know, I helped you out, helped you make noodles. Um, you even worked at a version of Ramen Shack at, at Tomi's in Midtown uh, before the pandemic. Uh, you, you would come down to my factory. You would you would make noodles there. I think for at one point, I mean, you were almost coming down from Providence to New York every weekend, right? Yeah, every every single week for what, like three, four months straight? That was a yeah. wild time. You were you were a zombie. 
<laughs> I remember that. You just worked not... like too much at the pizza shop and then drive to New York. You're a sicko. Yeah, that's the way to do it, though, right? Yeah, I mean, that that's I that's what. <laughs> I mean, it it helps for the business now. I'm pretty sure, um, you know, to go through that grind, get that grit. Um, the most important thing i think if you can like do something like that and get through it mm. you realize that you, you can do anything right so it's yeah, things basically. don't seem like insurmountable yeah you realize how stupid you are you know afterwards <laughs> you mean currently <laughs> right now yeah <laughs> wait, wait, you do <laughs> <clears throat> all right so pickerel now like you mentioned you know you bought it off a former chef and it's pretty much the dream location. Uh, tell me Seriously. about that. I think the biggest thing for us is that we, Spencer and I looked at a lot of spots, maybe for, what, like a year before we even talked to James? Yeah, yeah. So I think maybe the tail end of the pandemic, we were talking, like we were ramping up dinners at my house. Um, and honestly, there's no positives really about the pandemic, but one thing that it helped me do was like be home and I could like really think and like fine tune and figure out if it's something that I wanted to do and um, what the end goal of like bringing an actual restaurant to the city was. So we looked at spots for a long time and there was always something off about them. The footprint was too big or, you know, it was too much money or the location was too commercial. And this was a perfect blend of, I think, everything. The space was right. The size was right. And it's in, like, it. before Spencer moved, I, I live 500 feet from the restaurant, and he lived even closer. So we could see it from our windows. It, it's kind of like a dream location for, like, our neighborhood. Um, all our friends are here and a lot of, like, other business owners that we know. It's It reminds me a lot of, like, a back street in Tokyo in a lot of ways. Mm. Very small and just quaint, yeah. All right, give our listeners a little background on the location and James and the former restaurant called Big King. Yeah, go ahead, Spencer. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, the space is just kind of like, I talk about it obviously like every day because everyone who comes in there, they're just like, oh man, last time I was here was Big King. And it's just, it was such a special, special space for people, like just like for like making good memories and things like that. He's an incredibly talented chef. Still is, but um, I think my favorite part of that space is it's been so many different restaurants, but no one's white boxed it or like took took everything out of it. You know what I mean? Like they've just kind of built yeah. on top of it. So there's these little fragments of each of these restaurants that's been in this space that kind of stands into this day. So you get this nostalgia when you go in there because you're like, oh man, this bar's from Amas. You know, like this part's from North, this part's from Big King. And like now these parts are from Pickerel. And it's like, it's more of like a lineage spot. And that feels super special. That's great. Yeah. James has a lot of deep tie-ins to New York. Like he worked at um, uh, Co, like one of David Chang's restaurants. And then he came here, um, had a long, I think he went to Johnson & Wales. And he had such an impact on this city and like the food scene in this city. A lot of cooks that works for us now probably tied to him in some way and two of our employees were direct employees of his um and like his mark on the city i think will be felt for a long time mm. um and he was 
he was very gracious to allow us like to even have the conversation about having that space um yeah we're very lucky it's it looks like a ramen shop like just kind of the aesthetics totally and also like he was so instrumental in just kind of putting our head spaces in the right place to even opening a restaurant you know there were so many directions we were thinking about going and just like him just like nudging us in the correct ways and stuff like that like never being judgmental never being over like over the top about or anything like that he just be like hey you should think about this you should think about this and it was just Mm -hmm. absolutely invaluable and he still is he's still the kind of person that we can text at any point he'll be like i don't know yeah that's a cool idea or something you know like he's he's great yeah he's a good resource yeah that's great i love how you know you say that the lineage is there from past restaurants i don't think you can get that with many spots you know i think east coast maybe more of a chance on that with Mm -hmm. all the history but definitely not west coast definitely not la i don't see that much here you know it's, I think that that that's becoming even harder here. You're right. When a landlord has a space that they want to rent out, their first idea is to gut it yeah. and have it just be an open box. And it's like, okay, well, maybe some of the value in buying this space, you know, you look at restaurants listings and they always say second gen, third gen. And it's like, mm-hmm. those terms don't really get thrown around around here as much as they do like New York or LA or even Boston, because these small cities people i think kind of respect that it's not a negative connotation it's more of a more of a positive connotation yeah i think japan too you don't get much of that like changeover like a lot of shops in japan they require you to put it back to the exact same way how you got it you know so if that was like a white box then you'd have to put it back to that so that's cool i mean that that history of you know providence or even a big city like new york you got um i don't know america i guess that's one good thing but you can <laughs> see, see you know I, I guess we're lazy right we don't want to put it back to, to oh, how no. it was and just, just sell it to somebody as is <laughs> i mean honestly i don't know if pickerel could be the way it is today if it wasn't as cool looking as it was when we first bought it like if you think about it like we yeah. didn't have to build out and that's yeah insane you know the 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 margin that we run and the way that we run the restaurant is like so tight that if if you think about it what's the cheapest way you can build out a restaurant like that's going to cost you so much money that we just straight up didn't have so the space being cool and already having this heritage was instrumental to us even getting our feet off the ground Mm -hmm. yeah that's definitely an ideal location and and you guys are pretty lucky because some owners, you know, they, they build out and it takes mm-hmm. years to really finish the project. So you guys were what you took over and you're up and running in less than six months, right? Maybe even less. Oh, I think the space oh. was closed for like 14 days. <laughs> like, yeah, we, we got rent signed, to pay. <laughs> we signed the papers for everything and had everything finalized, I think, middle of August. And we were open middle of September. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we, James was kind of like, hey, if you want to open sooner, you can. But like, Spencer and I were still working our day jobs. We had no, yeah. we had no money. <laughs> we have, we had, not that we have money now, but like, we still didn't have money. And we were like, yeah, uh, we don't have the ability to like leave our day jobs yet. Give us a little bit. Yeah. yeah that's that's, kind of that's, crazy. that's cool. So. Oh, yeah, you, so Scott, your day job was still pizza. 
And then yeah. Spencer, you were working at a bar. Uh, I was at Moniker across the street who does like uh, the beer for us now. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. During the, during the pandemic, I, uh, they were opening a brewery down the street from us. Cause me and Scott at the time lived like literally next to each other. Um, and I was unemployed because pandemic and they were putting in space and I had worked at a distillery and I was like, Hey, I know this shit works. Something's going to break. You guys are going to need help. I live across the street. Hit me up. And, uh, the next day at nine in the morning, the owner Brian goes, "Hey, was that a bit or like we need help?" <laughs> okay, I was down there like ten minutes later. Helped him can a bunch of beer, and they gave me a case of beer. And then, uh, yeah, that's where I worked until we opened Pickerel, pretty much. And I remember the day you got that case of beer. Yeah, we drank it. <laughs> so you guys were cool with the owner. Did the owners know that you were opening up your own shop, and they let you kind of? Uh, stay until then or like how did that work out oh i mean with moniker i was like hey i'm opening a restaurant he goes hey we're gonna make you a beer you know it's just like i wouldn't have left that job if it wasn't for opening a restaurant like it was such a great job i love that space and uh yeah i was just like hey i'm gonna do my own thing and they were like cool how can we help all right yeah let's get straight into that then the the pickerel rice lager like how did that yeah, come about? hell yeah <laughs> uh yeah, ben had always wanted an excuse to do a rice lager and just did it and uh yeah he's he did a great job that beer is so good yeah um, they just did the newest iteration of it it's it rips it's light it's easy it's it's a cool can <laughs> yeah i'm still waiting for scott to send me <laughs> some yeah, pickerel he, rice lager <laughs> we have we have bought you pickerel rice lager to send several times <laughs> It unfortunately hasn't left the building yet. It's just so good. I have to drink it. I don't know what you <laughs> No, we got we have new cans coming in, I think, this week, and I already told them like set aside some cases. So mm-hmm. Dice K is gonna get some and you're gonna get some. Yeah, I like that photo on Instagram where <laughs> Spencer's <laughs> behind you and holding <laughs> yeah. But you know, it would have been better if Scott was behind. <laughs> oh, yeah, I have a little spoon. I have a little spoon energy. That's fair. <laughs> I love how tired we look in that picture. We were like at the ass end of a killer week, and they were like, let's come take pictures of you. And we're both just like dead. <laughs> All right, let's get into the business. You guys opened September 2022. Uh, wow. Wait, no. Is that true? <laughs> That's wild. <laughs> September 2022. Wow, it's been over a year and a half. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. About a year and a half. In my head, it was like three days ago. So what's <laughs> it been like? Give me some stories. What are the good oh. memories? What are the bad memories? Oh Do you want to continue? Are you done? <laughs> Do you regret uh, anything? Remember like four years ago when you were like, don't ever open a rhyme? <laughs> <laughs> I know you want to hear it, that you were right, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> well, I just want to hear the experience. I mean, I've been there. I, I've I've done that. And, you know, I, I probably know the feeling. Mm. Um, but I come back to it every now and then, too. So, you know, it is a special feeling to own your own restaurant, own your own ramen shop. You know, I, it's great. I think the one thing we say the most is I have no idea how you did it alone. I don't know how James did it alone. Like... The idea of going into what we've done the past year alone is a fucking nightmare. I would never do it. Yeah. 
Like I, yeah. I have the, I have the most respect for like you and like James and everyone who does it without someone else to like, just talk shit through. That's why know? I don't do it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. The idea of that is just mind boggling to me. I think one of the biggest reasons for our success, which feels weird to say, uh, is that, you know, like me and Scott have each other. Yeah, that's that's 100%. key. I think it's key because you guys are good friends too. Hmm. Um, you know, you respect each other. You know how to get along, and even if you don't agree, you have ways to work it out. I think that's really key in a yeah. good partner, a good business partner. I mean, even a good girlfriend, right? You know, Scott. Yeah. Wait. Who's? The, wait. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure. I'll be whatever. I don't. Know. <laughs> um. Yeah. I think you know going into this you have those thoughts, right? It's like you see business partnerships make friendships like turn to shit and you don't really know what's going to happen. But I think, I think a lot of that is like when someone doesn't really like vet someone or know them for a long time, it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. you know, someone for a year and a half, two years. And you're like, yeah, they're a good person. Let's open a business. And then you, you find out who someone is like really quickly. Um, Not that like, years ago i knew spencer like as a best friend but i've known him for so long and vice versa that i think we both know like we have good morals and we're, we're not pieces of shit like, <laughs> it just it just kind of works it, i think it works really well so, I think yeah we both, oh no go ahead no go ahead okay uh, I just, also like i think we both have healthy understandings that like like we check in with each other sometimes not maybe not enough but like we're both capable of like looking at each other and being like that thing you did was dumb or cool. Like, which I think a lot of businesses that go into each other, they just fail because they don't have that ability to look to the other person and be like, Hey, that sucks. Or that's cool. Yeah. Or maybe they have too big of an ego to like put themselves in check and say, Mm -hmm. like, I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. So what front of house, back of house, you guys meet in the bathroom. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) This shit out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) all right so the space how many seats is it 23 but now it's 27 it's 27 now yeah yeah we added two two small tables which has honestly it sounds like four seats is nothing it has changed the entire flow of the night Mm -hmm. yeah let's talk about that like what do you mean by that um Um, go ahead oh uh, i mean um yeah like we do we work on a waitlist system like people come in put their name in and walk around uh, mm-hmm. there's a bar across the street typically is where they go uh, and like adding two tables has shaved five to ten minutes off the waitlist like across the board it's crazy how much effect that has in wow. such a small and when space. that happens people tend like we have tend to have less cancellations mm-hmm. and I think that the the room being just even a little bit more full uh, kind of helps tables move along a little bit more quickly um and you can feel it like i think on the i don't really see it so much because i'm not working the floor but i can see the tickets come in at like a more rapid pace and i'm like oh wow like i'm getting five tickets now instead of three at a time and it definitely i think helps flip the room and like the dining room is like so much more alive just with four more people in there mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy gotcha so definite increase in revenue just from four more seats right oh god yeah 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 i mean for sure that 
we were we were hitting a point like we were talking to our accountant and stuff like that where it's just kind of like do we open another day do we open earlier and it's that's do you daunting. get rid of the noodle room to yeah. have more seats. Uh, hey, hey, no, no. There's one seat in the noodle room. It's the best seat in the That's house. It's the only place I have peace in the entire house. <laughs> but like those two tables are the difference between like me and Scott having to put in more hours, which, you know, when you're running a bare bones team, like that's daunting and like depressing. <laughs> so those two ta- two tables and like what we have planned to do in the future are going to like, I think they're, it's great. I think we're just going to find the best version of that space. All right, so Scott came up with the ramen menu, uh, the sides mm-hmm. and all that. And then Spencer, you come in and you add flair with the whole cocktail menu. Mm-hmm. Like, how, how did you guys kind of put that all together and, and make it a cohesive concept? I think, I think, not speaking for Spencer, but we worked together for so long on doing dinners. And then Spencer did two pop-ups with me. So we've both spent a lot of time together just like via text or like in person like bullshitting and talking being like how do you think this would work with this and i think we had our full like ethos down for like what we wanted to do as far as the menu goes and then spencer knows you know he has that palette and that intuition on how to pair drinks with with ramen because a lot of places are just like oh let's do let's do sake and you know a sapporo and it's like no like it can be more thoughtful and still have that nice pairing. Like it doesn't have to be so like ham fisted, you know? Mm. Yeah. I, I see so much of that. Like even yesterday, somebody was just like, hi, can I see the sake list? And it's like, my guy, we're running Mapo tofu. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like, well, you're going to have a beautiful sake with this. Like, no, it's going to blow your palate out. You don't want that here. Take this crazy German wine I brought in. That's like, one of three cases in the state like, and enjoy yeah. that. <laughs> I don't know. Some people, they get kind of like tunnel vision on their, co- on like what they think they should be eating with like certain cultures, foods and things like that. And it's like, no, there's, there's a broad spectrum of flavors out there. And some of them are really good with the food that we're making. I think there's a division between what Scott produces and what I produce, but it works together. Yeah. I think that in itself is like how American ramen is evolving you know Mm. people think like oh you gotta make your own american ramen which obviously scott is doing too with you know the ingredients you can get in new england but having you know a concept that can take it to a different level than than from what you have in japan like adding cocktails adding pairings Mm. you know someone who knows both sides i think what you guys are doing is truly like pioneering stuff you know and I think it's great. I wish I could be closer so I can go experience pickerel more often or even once at all, you know? Yeah, even how about just once? Let's just work on the first time. I do. I mean, I'm there in spirit. Uh, I, I want to be there. Is yeah. You know, I, I want to head back to the East Coast. It's been tough. Uh, you know, I haven't been back since I moved out here to L.A., Orange County. So we'll get there. We'll go to New York, too. It'll be fun. Yeah, I, I do miss hot wieners. Can Hell you yeah. please can you please explain to people like New York system hot wiener? Cause you know, I didn't know about it until I went to Providence and hung out with you guys. And you know, I think most people around the country don't even know what a hot wiener is. Uh, it is a a small tube of meat that they make in like 30 foot continuous ropes. Generally 
entire contents. It's beef, uh, veal, pork. I think um, they're a little. They're daint. They're like tainted a little bit red. They got some food dye in there. Um, then it's like topped with mustard, a meat sauce, celery salt, and onion, and always on a steamed bun. And they are like, they are delicious. Just don't <laughs> call them a hot dog, and you're fine. <laughs> yeah, I think I missed that the most more than you <laughs> oh, yeah. well i showed them to you so it's it's fine <laughs> uh, the the amount of like ramen people now that are tied into new york system hot wieners is hilarious like constantly like yume or like tado from ibesu or in like onishi-san from sudaman will come down and they'll come eat ramen like and then they'll go to new york yeah. system <laughs> We have all these ramen nerds who will come in from around the country. Like Elvin's been in now, and he's like, he's like, he texted me the other day. He's like, why don't you put the New York system mazemen on the full time menu? And I'm like, man, it's I don't know, a little too yeah. close for comfort. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know the feeling. I, I did the same when I went to your pop up in Providence. I stopped by New York <laughs> system <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to to eat a hot wiener and bring you guys some. It's um, legendary. But speaking of the hot wiener Mazamen, you guys embarked on a trip that literally, I'm sure, changed your lives recently. And you did a pop-up in Tokyo at Ramen Feel. And you did have a hot wiener Mazasoba on the menu. Mm -hmm. uh, it was, I'm sure that was, it was a great experience, but I want to hear about that. But also, like, there's more to that. Like, how did it develop? How did you, you know, kind of, take that trip and like what what has it meant to you since then oh man uh i think a lot of times when you see people say anything food related and they go oh it changed my life it's like it's so overused that it loses its like meaning but mm. i think that trip really did change my our lives in a little bit yeah. i don't know we have this new lifelong friendship um with everyone at ramen feel and not to be like corny and like all roads lead to Kazo, but i i wouldn't we wouldn't have that connection if it weren't for you um Jeffrey the Wang, um, as the ramen community knows him, was a friend and employee of yours. And now he's working at Feel. And, you know, I've been friends with Jeff ever since I met him. And we just got to talking. And I don't know, it wasn't really for us, like, pushing it. But Daisuke God, no. San from, from Ramen Feel just kind of brought it forward. Um, also, big credit to Eric Bentz out in Cincinnati for mm -hmm. um, kind of like setting the precedent for that and like doing the pop-up at feel. Yeah, I think he kind of broke down that barrier a little bit. Um, so just having both of those people in our corner and those friendships just kind of like made it happen organically. Yeah. I think it was so funny. I remember the day in the kitchen where we hit up young Jeff being like, Hey, we want to go to feel. And he just responded like, Daisuke wants to know why you don't want to do a pop-up. And we're both just like, yeah. what? <laughs> <laughs> like, literally didn't even cross our mind. It was just like, wait, what? He was like, like no, like, seriously. <laughs> and then there was just like, okay, shit, let's do it. Like, and then, you know, hopped on a bunch of calls with him. And he's the best. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't get to go to your pop-up, but I did experience Eric Benz Mochiko pop-up, and that was something else. Uh, I can only imagine how you're – your guys's was and wish i could have been there but maybe we can get dice k on a later episode to talk more about that um what are some things from that that you've applied or that have inspired you at pickerel hmm. 
Uh, as far as the ramen making goes, I mean, just spending two full days with Daisuke in the kitchen and watching his attention to detail, um, how thorough he is in, in every act, like not even, not even cooking, just like that man is like so thoughtful in everything that he does. Seriously. Um, watching him make noodles and seeing just how much, you know, there's that saying that like we all joke about in the ramen chat, like don't think, feel, but Watching him make noodles, um, Keizo is like the antithesis of watching you make noodles. Like he's like, he's like all over the place, like feeling the dough and like adding water in the middle of the mix. And I'm like, whoa, like it kind of like changed. It's how I make pizza dough. And I'm like watching him and I'm like, oh, okay. Like it kind of like unlocked my mind a little bit. Um, being so like rigid with recipes and, and stuff and like measuring, you know, water for soup to the gram. And it's like, no, just like, feel it out a little bit more. Um, and that kind of changed the way I'm, I've been making ramen since then. Like I think sourcing better ingredients where I can, like where the money makes sense and mm -hmm. um, trying out different flours, like things that are milled the same week has really like changed the noodles for the better, I think. So seeing how Daisuke works, like Daisuke Watanabe, he is the owner of Ramen Feel. He is the first apprentice of Ida Shoten. Uh, one of the probably the number one ramen shops in all of Japan, like seeing him work, experiencing that. Do you think it is possible to apply that method, that work ethic to a shop in America? Jesus. I, I do, but not across the board. Mm. Um, I simply think the amount of rent and labor that you have to pay per square foot um, if you were to work like him in America, I think that you would sacrifice everything. And I know that he, he kind of does as well, but I don't think it's financially feasible here. So I think you have to be smart about where you apply it. Yeah. Um, so it's like, yeah. you know, right now I know that I can buy, I like, just for instance, our flour was anywhere from 38 to $40 a bag, maybe sometimes 45. And I've started buying flour. That's like $75 a bag. Um, locally milled, you know, I'm paying like this local company, their drivers better. And it's like, okay, we can spare that expense. Um, but like, I can't get year old chickens. Like we simply couldn't afford that. It, like we wouldn't be able to make soup for $18 a bowl. And even then $18 seems crazy in this ramen world. Right. But it's like when you're trying to support local farms and, um, you know, keep your ethos is right. It's like, how do you, I can't sell a bowl for $12. I wish I could, but yeah, fortunately, I think to be like Daisuke and like everything that he does is probably within a, a 20, 30 mile radius of his shop. And it's like, you, you simply can't do that in America while having that price point. Yeah. Definitely harder to do in the big cities, I think, but I've, mm -hmm. I've, you know, struggled with that too. Um, especially the price point. Right. I mean, I grew up eating ramen that was mm. cheaper um, I know it's like soul food. You eat it real quick, get out. Uh, but and my first experience moving to New York and seeing how ramen was approaching twenty dollars a bowl. Like in LA at that time, it was still twelve, thirteen, fourteen dollars. Like fourteen was expensive. So, you know, seeing that moving to New York, opening my own ramen shop up, and then seeing what other people were charging, and you know what that ramen actually was and what they were charging. Like it was really surprising. Yeah. You know, I felt, I felt I could, if, if that's the case, I could sell a bowl for like 50 bucks, you know, like yeah. uh, for the amount of effort and, 
and technique and you know care that I put into my ramen uh, but that definitely is not the case you can't do that um, I had to give up a lot of stuff too so I guess what I want to ask you Scott is do you feel like you're making your best ramen and if not like how can you continue with your own ramen shop if you don't feel that you're making the best quality you can i think if if like the best ramen i'm gonna make is probably the ramen i'll make tomorrow right like if you have that mentality i think you're going in the right direction um i definitely don't think that we've backtracked at all like it's not like i've i've done something that was better and been like okay we'll just go back to the old way because it was cheaper or mm. easier or cost less money you know it's like i think the as long as you're looking forward and you're always like improvising and trying to figure out how can I do this better, you know, you know, a smarter way, um, put less stress on the staff, um, you know, keep pickup times on the line down. Like, you know, there's all these things you can do, um, while still honing your craft. And I think, I think that me and Spencer both do that. Um, but it's certainly a challenge. Like it's a challenge to not be at the restaurant 16 hours a day. I could do that, but I also, like to have a personal life and see my family and my partner and it's um i i do think that every day we improve maybe not at the pace that i would like to but that's okay as long as we're not backtracking um and i i try and improve one thing every week like that's even if i don't vocalize it to like our team or spencer like internally i'm always thinking like like how can i do this differently this week what's going to be better in the bowl this week i changed the tade last week like which I haven't done in a very long time. And that was, I had two people this week that are like friends that come in every week. And they were like, wow, like the salinity and the taste of this was like so much more full. And I'm like, holy shit. Like you actually noticed the slightest change because they come in and they eat it every week, sometimes three times a week. So I think that I am making my best ramen in the sense that I'm getting better every day. But I know that if like time and money weren't commodities, then I could mm. be way better. But that's the facts of life. <laughs> yeah. How do you str- how do you struggle with that? How do you deal with that? Is it just <laughs> you struggle? Like, it's it's hard, <laughs> man. Like Spencer's texted me before, and he's like, texting like a picture or something. He's like, "Why are you at the restaurant at seven in the morning?" He's like, "Go home." And I'm like, "But." sometimes like it's it's slightly addicting like not gonna lie it's nice to see like the fruits of your labor produce this thing right so uh, for me personally i'm a workaholic like i i could be there as long as i know that it's something i love um but i'm lucky to have like a good team and like Hmm. our staff will tell us like you're here you're tired like go home like yeah chantal will keep me in check being like hey like you don't need to be at the restaurant on your day off today like Little okay. things like that. So I definitely struggle because I want to be providing the best ramen possible for all of our guests and all of our friends in this city. But it comes at a personal toll, right? So you gotta you gotta be smart about it while still mm-hmm. doing the best you can to make the best thing that you can. We'll uh we'll like look at each other and be like, We're not gonna open today. You know, and it's like one of my favorite things that we do. Like if the staff is all tired who wants to eat at a restaurant where everyone's tired and exhausted and burnt out? It's like, let's just go to Dave and Buster's. Yeah. There's been a few times over the year, like last year, 18 months where like, if we're such a small team, essentially there are four full-time people. So it's me and Spencer 
our pastry chef and then Adam, like our, my sous chef. So if that's like a Sunday or Monday and we've all put in like these insane hours and we're just like, Hey, like maybe we just deserve like five hours of solace. <laughs> like today let's, yeah. let's recharge because it's not worth running yourself and your entire team ragged to give like a subpar product to your guests. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's Which, great to hear. I'm glad you guys do that. I mean, mental health is definitely important are you okay though <laughs> well i mean there's precedent you see it in japan if i was your time. investor i'd be like what the hell get back in there <laughs> suck it up <laughs> no i'm just kidding um no i hear you you know you, you can only push your body so much mentally and physically it gets tough you know winters your hands hurt they get dry <laughs> from washing dishes you know the, those are or making noodles man my god yeah it, you get these little like openings in the tip of your fingers that are the worst pain, you know, in this world, I think. Uh, but yeah, I don't miss that. But definitely it's the little things that, you know, keep you happy, keep you going. You know, like you said, you, you make a slight change and a regular customer recognizes that and, you know, appreciates that. Those are the best moments, right? You have kids that come in who grow up and with your restaurant and later on you see them like years later as an adult and they, they, you know, really have a place in their hearts for your, for your food. So those are definitely the things that I miss owning a restaurant. You know, I, I think about that a lot. Um, so it, it, I don't know. It, it's, I don't know, you deal we, with we, struggle. <laughs> we, we feel what your effects like all the time. We had a kid come in the other day. Uh, Scott put on a bowl. That was a reference to one of your bowls. And this kid who's been coming in was just like, oh, is this a reference to the shack from New York? And it's like, he's like, yeah, I love that place. I was eating there all the time. And Scott ended up giving him the bowl in the ramen shack bowl, which was really cool. I um, ran home during service. Spencer was, like, <laughs> Spencer was like, hey, this kid up front. Shack a lot. And I was like, oh, damn. So I ran home because I live so close. And I <laughs> the ramen shack bowl and I made him classic show you in the ramen shack bowl. Wow. He crushed it. Yeah. You don't tell me oh. these stories. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Spencer. No, that's, that's obviously awesome. like we got Mikey coming through doing cement bowls with us. Like the the way he feels about your food is, you know, insane. Like you're revered. Yeah, Niboshi Mike, he, he's a character. Um, I miss him. I miss seeing him come into the shop. He was always very excited, always crushed like two or three bowls. Yeah. Um, very happy to see you guys connect and, and do that pop up mm-hmm. with him. Uh, shout out to Shoegazing Chef on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> That's an I, immediate friend right there. Like he showed up one day solo, hit the wait list, crushed three bowls. And I was like, oh, this guy's about it. Uh, and yeah. then we ended up, he ended up staying at like Scott's house for two days. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, he just down from New York and just crashes. He's, he's dead home. Yeah. He's so cool pop up Kezo. we're getting like all the me's set up and he's like all right uh, where's the chopsticks to fold noodles and i was like oh, i just use these tongs and he's like oh, use chopsticks I, I need chopsticks and i was like all right i'll run <laughs> home and i'll grab you chopsticks and, like, he is a true ramen shack fan man mm-hmm. nice you, you use tongs <laughs> yeah i use tongs i'm not embarrassed about it either <laughs> oh man <laughs> Yeah, Niboshi Mike, he came in one day and he just 
told me he used to live in Japan. You know, he grew up there, Yokosuka. And he had a tattoo of Niboshi on his arm. So I just kept calling him Niboshi Mike from then on. And maybe I can get a podcast with him, you know, an episode with him one day. Uh, but yeah, I wrote his recommendation letter for uh, CIA, Culinary oh, cool. Institute of America. Uh, so I hope that helped him get in and, you know, he's currently going to school there. Um, he probably doesn't need it, but you know, it's good for him to learn all that technique. Uh, mm-hmm. he's having fun with it. Uh, but yeah, he could be the next top ramen chef in the country, in the world. Love that dude. I can't wait to poach him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that boy finishes school. Yeah, just been indoctrinating him into the Rhode Island way every time he comes. (laughs) (laughs) He stops and gets hot wieners before he goes home every time. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's good. I'm sure, you know, he'll 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 probably work for you. I mean, that's as close you can get to Shaq, you know, for him on the East Coast. So Um, unless I open up a shop and recruit him out here. (laughs) Whoa, man. Whoa. (laughs) All right, so what's next for Pickerel? <laughs> Sorry, Ooh. I didn't mean to laugh. Um, I'm heading back to Japan. I don't know when this will get released, but I'm heading back early March. And then I'm going to link up with Daisuke-san again out there. And he's coming to America. I think all the ramen nerds that are on the Discord and stuff know this by now, but it's not like general knowledge. He's coming back to America in April to do like a little ramen tour. Um, I think he's going to Mochko. I'm not sure if he's going to be in LA at all, Kezo, and that he's going to come do a pop-up at Pickerel. Yeah, so we're going to a Clippers our... game together. Oh, nice. So he'll be in LA. Uh, young Jeff is taking him to a Lakers game too. Uh, and then... Wow, I was going to three. We're going to take him to and the then, Celtics. Then we're, we're taking him to the Celtics. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's sick. <laughs> Where's nice. Eric Pence taking him? Probably nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> With, there's nothing in Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> Except for Mochiko. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I don't think spring training has started yet, right? <laughs> there's no football. Oh, yeah. I don't know, sports. <laughs> that's, the, that's the next big thing for Pickerel. Is, is that what you mean? Or are you talking about like our our like plans for the, the restaurant? No, that that's... Yeah, that that's good to let people know. But also plans for the restaurant. Like... How long was your lease? And you're you're a year and a half in. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you? How is it going so far? Is it to your expectations? Can you maintain this as a business? Uh, I know you you're making quality stuff out there, uh, using quality ingredients. Your menu keeps changing. Uh, Spencer as well with the cocktails, like pairing it all. Like, is that model sustainable, physically, mentally? And do you see yourself like being etched into the Providence landscape for a long time in that location? I think at the end of the day, speaking for myself, it, it kind of like, it depends on, I don't know. I, I find like I can get bored with things very easily and it, it does help mm-hmm. to have a small menu, but at the same time, it kind of, it's like a weird, uh, it's like a constant game that you play. Like, do I want to make these three or four bowls we have on today, like the same menu as last week. I think I derived a lot of that from you, like watching you run ramen shack. Like you would have so many different bowls on all the time. Um, So I think 
we are a decent part of the Providence food scene. I think ramen is one of those foods that could be like a longer lasting staple. I think that's kind of why pizza is a good foil to it. Like a pizza shop mm-hmm. can be around forever, right? Um, I don't know if our business model where like me and Spencer are so integral to it could be the type of thing that would last forever because I don't know if like we're both in our mid middle thirties now and it's like, how, how much longer can we work? Like babies. Yeah. <laughs> I know how much my body doesn't run like a baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I would you... say that the rate at which we work isn't necessarily sustainable. Um, but I feel that if you are setting yourself out there to do something truly special, it shouldn't be sustainable. I think if you're playing it safe, you're not trying hard enough. Yeah. Do you see yourselves, I guess, like replacing yourselves in the kitchen, in the bar with God, other that people? Everyone's nightmare. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, oof. but that's uh, truly the only way to be sustainable yeah. for a long time. Unless, you know, you just put your head down and just keep pushing the next thing you know, you're you're doing it for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Yeah. I think Spencer and I both have this mentality that uh, everything has a lifespan, like everything dies. I don't mm-hmm. think that this restaurant and its current iteration needs to be around for 10 plus years. I think mm-hmm. that this could be something that would leapfrog us into other things and maybe give us a stronger nudge than we would have had before. Um, and maybe, I'm not saying that like after this, I'm not going to make ramen ever again. But I think that this, this like combined force of like us doing ramen and cocktails and like having it be experiential instead of just like come in, eat a bowl and leave in seven minutes. I think, I don't know if that needs to be around forever. Mm. Um, But to circle back and answer your question, our lease was for five years and we have another three year option. Um, So we could potentially be there for six and a half more years. I don't, that sounds insane, but that sounds wild. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and things are going really well. I think we're very lucky and we've been, uh, we've been lucky to have all the support we've had. And I think we like to keep it fun and do all, you know, all these fun, like one-off days and breakfast pop-ups and Italian pop-ups. And it kind of just keeps like, keeps things fresh and we don't feel stagnant. I think. Yeah. And we're also held up by like our incredibly talented staff, like million Adam, we we could not have done it without them at this point. And as everyone yeah. we've tagged on at this point too, with, you know, like Trinity and Lindsay, who are two people helping me in the front, like just wells of knowledge. Great. Just added Molly. They're integral. It's not, it, it's hard because you want to add more people because then you get more time. But if they're not right, then it, you end up doing more work for yourself. And we've been incredibly lucky that the people we've added to the team, um, have helped <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. like they're great yeah. they're there we couldn't have done it without all of them for sure yeah i think that's the hardest part of a business to really mm-hmm. you know get the right people to help and create yeah. that special team so yeah, yeah it's, it's not really too much about menu anymore right it's it's about having people care like not just customers but also the people around you that are helping you that are working for you to really feel that special piece of a pickerel and, and yeah. want to, you know, keep it alive. That part's hard too, because I know we constantly joke about this, like, man, what if this was the nineties 
know, we could we could just yell at everybody and pay them like four bucks an hour. Like, you know, it's also hard to be a boss that has like empathy and like wants to pay their staff well. And like, there's a lot of whole other things that you don't even really think about until you're in it. And you're like, shit, I can't like yell at this person, you know? Yeah, it's it's tough. You know, I've I've had in the past like people come up and be like, "Oh, I'm such a huge fan. I need a job. Like, mm. I'm really inspired. Like, I want to move out there to help you." And then, you know, I made a couple mistakes myself, trusting that. Are like, are you referring to me? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. After week one, I was like, "Damn, this guy's coming again." No. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it's tough. But I'm very proud of you guys. Uh, you guys have made a good name for yourself in a small city, and you are you are making a huge impact on the craft ramen scene, uh, making everything from scratch, and also you know just just being a fan. Uh, I think that that's all you can ask for. Like I hope that you guys are there for 10, 20 years, even if I can't eat there every day. <laughs> that's the meanest thing Thanks, you've ever man. said <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and you've said a lot of mean things <laughs> <laughs> no but thanks i i feel like uh not to speak for scott and stuff but like it's hard sometimes to even realize you're doing anything good because you're just so in it so much of the time that like when somebody's just like oh hey you're doing a good job you're like oh wait what i'm just showing up so thank you especially coming from you yeah, that's thank you, Kezo. <clears throat> no, I'm sure you'll you'll go through those struggles a lot more, you know, to keep this thing going. But just hang in there. Um, like you said, even if it comes to an end, it it, it it's an opening for a new beginning. I mean, oh, yeah. I've yeah. I've I've ended a lot of things in my life, <laughs> um, but it only makes you come back stronger. Yeah, for sure, and I think. I think hopefully we get to a point where it ending is fully our choice. I think yeah. when that happens, it, I don't know, I've never had to do it, but I think when that time comes, if it's on your own volition, I think mm. that it's a lot more freeing and maybe less daunting when you're like, Hey, this, the specialness of this is faded away. Let's like put it to rest now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, I think we've always decided that it's not that it's going to come to an end. It's just going to change, you know, sometimes stuff yeah. has to change. Yeah. Just, just a quick story of something that I realized when I went back to Japan, uh, this recent trip during new years. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of like old school ramen, you know, like the old school Tokyo nostalgic chuka soba. I really searched that out when I was living there. Um, but this time it really kind of hit me. Like I went to ET Eifukujo Taishoken, and I've been going there forever. I lived real close by. Like all the staff know me now, and it really hit me. Like they're on Sandaime, which is like third generation. the mm. The grandson is is readying to take over. And what was interesting this time, like I walk in, the I I don't go there for like years, right? And they still recognize me. They might might not remember my name, but they remember my face, and it's very special to me to go there. Like that's why I feel like it's the best ramen in Tokyo, like to me. Um, but this recent time, I went there, and 
that third generation chef, he's probably a lot younger than me, maybe around your guys' age. But he came up to me and he's like, I've been always wanting to meet you. You know, I've been following you for a long time. I go to this sushi restaurant that's across from Bossa Nova and the master always speaks so highly of you. He's like, all he does whenever I go there is talk about Keizo, this one guy who used to manage Bossa Nova and it was the best ramen. It was the best time, you know? So that, those are things that are special. It's like, whoa, that kind of blew me away. Like this, that I had that kind of impact on my favorite ramen shop. And so cool. yeah, and then they started bringing me out stuff for free. Like I didn't order it, <laughs> but they're like, Memma, and like, here's a, a raw egg. And it's like, oh crap. Like, wow. Like this is kind of like a full circle moment, like a special thing. And then also like I went to Tora Shokudo, uh, that master in Fukushima, like that master is 75 years old. Um, he's been doing it. Oh, I don't even know how long, but decades. Right. And all his family is kind of pitching in and, and working with them and like, those seeing those places like where the families are taking over and it's like mm-hmm. second generation, third generation, fourth generation, that made me feel like, wow, like maybe it's okay to just keep doing the same thing every day. <laughs> yeah. You know, like even though it's like you don't see an end in sight. And I'm with you too, Scott. Like I, I lose interest and I, I need to do stuff something new every now and then. But just to see how these guys have been doing the same exact thing for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, um, passing that knowledge down and becoming like, you know, the, the meccas of the ramen world where people like make that pilgrimage just to, to have a bowl from, from this guy that's been doing it forever. Like those are the, the special things that I didn't, I kind of took for granted, you know, while I was doing my shop. So Mm. I think what I'm trying to say is, you know, like it it doesn't matter, like if you do it forever or not, like there's meaning to everything. And even if you don't want to do it, like there's that grit where you just kind of do it and it leads to something. Mm. Like I, I've, I've said recently, like, I don't want to open up another shop because it prevents me from doing other things that could be more beneficial to the industry. Um, which in reality, that is true, but also like having a shop, what allowed me to do so much more within the industry, mm. you know, the attention that people would bring to my shop and how I would affect people like not knowing it, like affect people around the world. So um, to me, I think, that's that's the end goal i guess you know like really affecting people without knowing it like your your goal is not yeah. to be like yeah. oh the the most famous ramen chef but you know just do what you do uh like you said have good morals and really just keep pushing i think if i could maybe circle back to what i said and put like an asterisk i think that Ramen could be that in America. And that's kind of not to like do the pizza analogy again, but Spencer and I had this discussion the other day talking about um, like Greek pizza spots in New England specifically, even more specifically like, you know, South Shore, Bristol County. And it's like, okay, 
these places go through generations of families running them. They've been there for 50, 60 years. I think ramen could be that in America. I just don't think that like pickerel our concept is that. Yeah. Maybe one day, maybe one day we have a spot that is that. But I think our current business model of being an experience is not so much um, that. But I do agree with you. And I think that that, I mean, I grew up eating at the pizza shop that I managed for 10 years. And we wouldn't have pickerel without them. Like, I didn't have any money. The owner of the pizza shop basically gave me a, a personal loan, cash, and was like, here, this is your time. Like, you can leave. Here's some money. Um, and I'm still paying them back. Like, in that whole, like, lineage, like, I, I have kids come into the well now that are like, man, you used to make me pizza. And it's like, yeah. That is that blows my mind. Like those restaurants are the most special places and they're the places that I eat on my day off. Um, but I think what we're doing now is kind of like not to like speak too highly about ourselves, but it's kind of like lightning in a bottle. Right. It's like I feel like it's it's there and it's special, but it might not be for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I mean, we can go on forever. I mean, it's it's really about the difference in cultures to America mm. versus Japan. Um, it, it is tough. America is, it's tough to be a mom and pop shop to, to last, you know, even five years. Yeah. Yeah. Five years feels like an eternity. <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah. it's, it's been nice to like kind of have this playground and be able to do anything on a whim and have it be recepted really well. And I think, I think Spencer probably feels the same. I have so much fun. I talk about it all the time. They're just like, how's it going? I'm like, I'm really tired, but I literally can't do anything else. <laughs> like, it's just, yeah, it's great. You know, we I see the same people every week and they're just happy to be there. And I'm happy they're there. And that's wait, kind of it. Wait you until know? you have kids. <laughs> <laughs> tired yeah. is not an option. <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah, thank you. I'm I'm very happy for you guys. I wish you all the success. I'll continue to be here to support you. Um, I'll make it down <laughs> there eventually. You know, I, I still want to. I haven't been to the East Coast. I haven't been back to New York. It's, it's over three years now, which is kind of insane. But hopefully, yeah. You know, my my biggest following is still people in New York. So mm. I need to get out there. Need to do a pop up. I just need to see you guys. Yeah. I, need a, I need a hot wiener. I need yeah, man. Curry. The rest, the restaurant's open for you. I need to try the green curry bowl now that I've had the Boston Nova bowl. All right. That's too hard. I, I have to like teach you how to do it. Like I can't I send you a recipe. You know, it's that. That's soul. the second podcast. It'll be you teaching me how to make green curry. <laughs> <laughs> Can you do it in the kitchen? Yeah, we got to start our own YouTube channel now. <laughs> I got the gamer room. Are you sure that's a gamer room? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, Hopefully, I can post this up somewhere, somehow on my new podcast, um, wherever it will be. Uh, But yeah, make sure you go check out Pickerel in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, You're going to have some of the best ramen in the country paired with some amazing cocktails. Um, I really feel 
jealous of everyone that that gets to live out there and and go see you guys uh but hopefully yeah stay around for at least another three years so i can make <laughs> yeah. it down there <laughs> you will don't worry you love it too much all right guys thank you so much thanks Gazo. I love the ramen podcast.